Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. If you can give me 90 minutes, I'm going to give you the world. My broadcast partners are standing by with information. You'll not hear it on mainstream media, but we have it available today here on Prophecy Today. For example, we're going to be talking with Winky Madad. He's in Israel. He'll give us an election update. Netanyahu seems to be down, but Winky said he's not out as of yet. You need to hear that report. He'll also give us a report on Jerusalem Day, the 54th anniversary of the reunification of the city of Jerusalem happening during the Six-Day War back in 1967. And I'm going to bring Don DeYoung, my namesake, but no relations as we know. Anyway, Don is a scientist and astronomer. We're going to be talking about space junk. You have probably heard about the booster rocket from China that may well fall on the Earth sometime this weekend. They say somewhere between in the north, New York City, and in the South, New Zealand. Quite an area. We'll be talking with Don about space junk, the danger it may pose for each and every one of us. But as I said, broadcast partners who have reports you'll not hear anyplace else except here on Prophecy Today, one of those men is Ken Timmerman. He's a journalist who covers the geopolitical events an author of New York Times best-selling books, and just a great friend, a great broadcast partner. And Ken, a lot of things to mention about Iran today, so let me get started. I understand that the Biden administration is now sitting across the table from some Iranian leaders. They're talking about renewing that Iranian nuclear deal. But I also hear reports that any sanction relief that the United States will give Iran will be used to fight against the United States. What's the update? Well, these discussions are really quite advanced. They're not quite face-to-face from what at least the State Department has been telling us. But the Americans are you know, going through the Europeans and then speaking to the Iranians, trying to actually... Uh, now, at least according to the Iranian side, get to an actual text of a new agreement. Now, the Iranians are demanding the United States lift all sanctions, not just the sanctions imposed by the Trump administration for Iran's nuclear violations, but also those imposed on Iran for human rights uh, reasons, for jailing dissidents, for stealing technology for selling missiles around the world and supporting terrorist groups. So the Iranians are hoping and pushing very, very hard to get all of these sanctions removed. Now, why is that important? Because the Trump policy of enhancing pressure, extreme pressure on the Iranian regime, has had a huge impact on their economy. The Iranian people are aware of that. Uh, They are aware that the suffering that they are undergoing uh, comes at the hands of the regime because the regime will not compromise on its nuclear capability or its support for terrorism. So the regime wants to get all these sanctions lifted, and if they are lifted, guess where the money goes, Jimmy? It goes right to the Revolutionary Guards, and it goes right to the terrorist groups that Iran supports around the world, Hezbollah, Hamas, and the Houthis in Yemen. And that is the real concern. 
We saw this in 2015. They got $130 billion unfrozen that had been frozen around the world because of U.S. sanctions, and that money led to increased Iranian activities, terrorist activities in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Saudi Arabia, Syria, and in Lebanon, So, uh, and in the Palestinian territories. So that's what they do with this money. They don't help the Iranian people. And by the way, the Iranian people know that. Let me uh, mention what you just mentioned about the Iranian Revolutionary Guard or the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. I understand they've replaced the military guarding the activities developing a nuclear weapon of mass destruction with the Revolutionary Guard. That seems like an uptick in their concerns about somebody trying to attack this development process. Yes, I think it's that, and it's also uh, concerns that possibly the traditional army uh, units and perhaps some of the people at the intelligence ministry who were in charge of security before had been penetrated, had been infiltrated by the Israelis and led to some of these really devastating Israeli cyber attacks and uh, attacks on the power plant at the Natanz enrichment facility that took place a couple of weeks ago that we've spoken about on this program. So I see this as an effort to close the circle, to tighten the circle, if you wish, of security around these nuclear sites and basically to put Iran's nuclear weapons programs fully in the hands of the Revolutionary Guard. The development part of the program has already been in their hands, but now it would put all of the facilities and all of the technologies fully in the hands of the Revolutionary Guards. This is a real big development, and it's something that, I tell you, we all should be worried about. It's a radical group. It's a group that has, whose charter is to expand the Islamic Revolution, to spread the Islamic Revolution around the world, and, you know, as American presidents have been saying since George W. Bush after 9-11, if you couple uh, a terrorist group, a terrorist organization, with weapons of mass destruction, that's a really, really dangerous, dangerous chemistry. That charter, I also understand, it says, and according to the leader of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, that Israel, that's one of their main enemies, could be destroyed in one simple operation. Is that braggadocia, or could they do it? Well, what you're referring to here is an absolutely extraordinary, lengthy interview by the head of the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, General Salami, to commemorate what they call Jerusalem Day, uh, which was this past Thursday. And General Salami went through a list of attacks that he seemed to be taking credit for, attacks against Israel that he seemed to be taking credit for. He mentioned this mysterious explosion at a rocket factory in Israel on April 20th. Uh, he mentioned the fact that a, which Israel has acknowledged, of a missile that flew close to Demona, Israel's nuclear power plant, and some believe it's its source of enriched nuclear material. And he mentioned attacks at sea, and the Israelis have acknowledged that they've had clashes at sea with the Iranians, and he went on and on this list, and he was basically warning Israel, look, uh, we're stepping up the aggression. We're going to fight you on land, at sea, and in the air. So be on your lookout, and we have secret weapons that you don't know about. It was a aggressive interview. It was an astonishing interview for its candor, uh, and it was certainly a threatening interview for Israel. 
You know what I find interesting, Ken, is not only Israel is concerned about a nuclear-powered Iran, but now there are many Arab countries and leaders warning the entire West, which would include, of course, the United States, don't let Iran fool you. And uh, they think that they're trying to hoodwink most of the leadership of the entire West. What do we know? Well, this is true. And you have leaders in the UAE, in Saudi Arabia, in Jordan, and other countries all warning publicly. And that's what's quite interesting about this, warning publicly, writing op-eds in their newspapers. And if they're doing that, I guarantee you that they are using all of the diplomatic channels or have exhausted, let's say, the diplomatic channels. And that's why they're writing op-eds in newspapers. The Biden regime is intent on switching American policy from a pro-Saudi, pro-coalition, if you wish, in the Middle East that is making peace with Israel. They want to switch to a pro-Iranian, pro-Shia policy, which you had under the Obama administration. This is a very dangerous time to be pulling that kind of shift in U.S. policy. But that's what this is all about. And the Saudis are afraid they're going to get left behind. The uh, Emiratis are afraid they're going to get left behind. You have not heard a single word out of Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State's mouth, about the Abraham Accords negotiated by the Trump team in the last year of the Trump administration. Why? Because the Abraham Accords brought together Israel and several of its former Sunni Arab enemies. And they made peace, and they have an extensive economic relationship as a result of that, and a security relationship as a result of it. So these new allies of Israel are being shunned by the United States to the benefit of a relationship with the Iranian regime, which I think is going to bite uh, the Biden folks uh, in the face. And at the same time, everybody may well remember our conversation about the Iranian-Chinese deal, a $400 billion, 25-year type of an operation, a development between the two nations. But now Iran is totally buying in to China's Belt and Road Initiative, which, of course, does not look good for the rest of the world, does it? Well, no. And by the way, all to be expected. But the Belt and Road Initiative will seek one of the things the Chinese are seeking to do is to set up a rail service between China and Europe. It would go through Iran to be able to circumvent the Suez Canal. And recently they were boasting about this when you when the Suez Canal, remember, was blocked by a giant container ship for nearly a week. And the Chinese said, oh, don't worry, we're not going to need the Suez Canal in the future because we have our Belt and Road Initiative uh, that will bring our goods to Europe, and vice versa. So Iran sees itself now as an integral part of this. And believe me, this type of uh, initiative is aimed at growing Chinese hegemony in the future. You know, it's interesting we've focused on Iran so much in our conversation today, Ken, that uh, people must recognize how important Iran is as we look at the future and whether there is any type of coexistence between Iran and the Arab nations, Israel, the United States, etc. Good focus today. Thank you so much, Ken, for your insight, input in helping us to understand the geopolitical events in our world today. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. Go to David Dolan. He's up next right here 
on Prophecy Today, his Middle East News Update. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here at Temporary Studios in Hoopston, Illinois. We'll be at the First Baptist Church, as I mentioned earlier. There, the pastor, Adam Talbert, is inviting everybody to come join us Sunday all day, 10.30, 5 o'clock for Q&A, 6 o'clock in the evening, and then on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 6 o'clock in the evening for Q&A, 7 o'clock for the teaching of the Word of God. But right now, as promised, we go to the Middle East, to Israel, and we're going to be talking with David Dolan. His Middle East news update is an essential report for all of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And in light of that, violence in Jerusalem is always a key story. David, I understand there were three Palestinians on a bus in their way to Jerusalem, actually to the Temple Mount area, stopped by a military base, and a border policewoman was able to take care of the situation. Can you give us the latest on what happened on Friday? Yes, Jimmy, it appears to be a well-organized, well-planned terror attack attempt by three Palestinian young men from uh, near the Jenin area north of Jerusalem. They were on a bus filled with Palestinians heading to Jerusalem for Friday Ramadan prayers. It's the last Friday of uh, the Muslim month of Ramadan, so a lot of people coming in. And normally those buses are not necessarily stopped and searched, but This one was halted near an Israeli army base called Salam, which is peace in Arabic, 
the passengers got out and the three guys realized they would be inspected. They had guns, they had knives, automatic weapons actually, so a major attack was being planned. They decided the jig was up, so they started shooting instead at the nearby Israeli base. And uh, the border police guards there immediately responded. The leader of the group there at the gate was a young female, as you said, from Beersheba. She opened fire first, and she's thought to have killed two of the three. The other was seriously wounded, and other soldiers, of course, joined in. But that was a very, very serious incident, Jimmy, and it comes as tensions are very high uh, remaining high in Jerusalem. There's been rioting all week, but Thursday and Friday was especially intense. Just north of the old city in Sheikh Jarrah, that's an Arab neighborhood, as I think you will remember, just north of the old city. There, some Palestinians received eviction notices during the week from the government because some uh, Israelis want to build something there, and they claim it's their land, and there's been a legal dispute going on for some weeks. But on Thursday and Friday, Arab Knesset members gathered there, some Jewish settlers gathered there and others, and there were clashes. People were throwing chairs and rocks and other things at each other. Some fires were set, and the police were called in. And, Jimmy, they're expecting even uh, more trouble over the weekend, especially on Sunday, which is the last day of Ramadan, and that's when the Muslims celebrate the giving of the Quran to Muhammad. And uh, it usually ends with trouble, and it coincides this uh, time with Jerusalem Day, the annual Jewish celebration of the conquest of Jerusalem in 1967. So tensions were already very high, but uh, the police are out, and more police are being called in. Meanwhile, down in the Gaza Strip, the Palestinians have resumed their uh, firebombing, uh, I should say incendiary device, activity, sending fiery flying instruments across the border and setting fires. So tensions are very high and more signs that we may be already in a new Palestinian uprising. Looks to me, David, as uh, it was the case with an advisor to Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, he's been telling Palestinians to fight Israel even unto the death because that's what Islam calls for. So this could be part of that incitement, could it not? Oh, well, definitely. And, of course, the central issue has always been uh, Jerusalem and Palestinians' demand for East Jerusalem under their control, the Temple Mount and the Old City under their control, and Israeli resistance to that. And when we have land disputes, it's always that much greater. In other words, actual cases of people disputing various pieces of land. But the fact we had, I think it was five or six Arab Knesset members joined in the demonstrations that became violent. One of the Knesset members was actually injured slightly in that. And, you know, tensions rise, and then you get Jewish politicians on the other side and groups uh, fighting back. So, but this core issue is, of we've discussed so many times, Jerusalem and who controls it. There again, we're having trouble right around the holiest site on earth for the Jewish people, and also, of course, a very holy city for Christians and Muslims. David, that seems to be following up a communique coming out of Jordan. They say that the Temple Mount is only for Muslim worship, and to some extent the Israeli helped that along by shutting down the Temple Mount to Jews during a very special time 
uh, during the reuniting of the city of Jerusalem. I don't know if that was a smart move by Israel, but uh, the Jordanians appreciated it. Well, again, I don't know that it's ever happened that the final day of Ramadan has coincided with Jerusalem Day. It's, of course, both their lunar calendars, but the Ramadan moves throughout the years, uh, through the whole year, and uh, it's not tied as much to a set calendar as Jerusalem Day is. So uh, that doesn't normally happen, but the Israelis decided that if they allowed uh, Jews to be right around the Temple Mount and up there on Jerusalem Day, which is also, again, the last day of Ramadan, that it would just be too incendiary. And so they made that move, and the Jordanians appreciated it, but it does show that while Israel has some sovereignty over that holy site, their holiest site on earth, not Islam's holiest site, that's in Mecca, uh, they don't really have full control, and they have to periodically pull back, and that, of course, only encourages radical Muslims to fight even further. So it just goes on and on. At the same time, out of Iran, the leader of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard is saying that Israel can be destroyed in one operation, a threat of a possibility of trying to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, which is, of course, in the charter of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Talk to us about that. Well, Jimmy, it's the latest in a series of hints that go back several years now that Iran already may possess a weapon of mass destruction that they feel is strong enough to at least decimate Israel, if not totally destroy it, at least hit its largest cities, Tel Aviv and Haifa, Again, not Jerusalem, because it has Islamic holy sites there, so that's unlikely to be nuked. But, you know, when you talk about we can wipe you out all at once, when you talk about uh, fire descending from the sky, as, as some of them have said, when you talk about a sudden destruction coming, all of those things hint at a current nuclear capability, possibly. And, you know, we talk about them building the bomb, but they can buy the bomb or they can be given the bomb. And uh, some of their closest allies, Pakistan and North Korea in particular, are nuclear powers and share some of the same goals as they do, maybe not vis-a-vis Israel per se, but in terms of their anti-Western stand and that. So it's not a good situation, and uh, the Israelis have to remain on full alert all the time because this uh, could be tried at some point. David, I'm going to talk with Winky Medad about the situation among the electorate and developing a coalition government, possibly from the left wing of the body politic of Israel. Lapid has been given by the president the mandate to try to do that. A quick thought or two before we have to end our conversation about Lapid. Is he going to be able to do something bring a Duke's mixture of people together to form what they refer to as a unity government? Well, Jimmy, it's all up to one man, Naftali Bennett, his parents from San Francisco. He lived in the States twice in his youth. He is the key here because he has seven seats only, but that's enough with the New Hope Party, that's a breakaway Likud faction of six people, to form a a center-left government. So he's the key. He's an Orthodox Jew, modern Orthodox. He wears a kippah. That's Bennett, not Lapid. Lapid, a former TV presenter, he's thought by many people to be rather a lightweight, 
that he doesn't really have the gravitas. In fact, he didn't even graduate high school in Israel. He failed. But he went on to make a lot of money in the media and wrote novels and produced plays and TV shows and that. He's going to try. And again, if those right-wing parties will stick with him, those two small parties, and one Arab party backs him at least, then he may well be able to form a government. But the first prime minister is going to be Bennett, according to their rotation agreement, and that's the bait to get Bennett in. So it's precarious, though, Jimmy. You've got right and left all trying to work together. Their only shared goal is to get rid of Bibi Netanyahu. That's the only thing they have in common. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, talking about the political situation. We'll continue that conversation with Winky Madad a bit later. We'll talk again next week, buddy. Appreciate it. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. Going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue our conversations with Winky Madad on the elections, but also focusing on the history of Jerusalem Day. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here in Temporary Studios in Hoopston, Illinois. We're here because we'll be at the First Baptist Church Sunday through Wednesday. On Sunday, two services, 10.30 and 6 o'clock. But remember, a prophecy Q&A at 5 o'clock. Love to have you come and study the prophetic word of God with us. Pastor Talbert is inviting everybody in the WPEO listing area to come and join us as we study the passages of Scripture, helping us to understand the times in which we are living. All right, let's go to Israel. As promised, we're going to Winky Madad. Winky, I want to talk to you about Jerusalem Day, but before I do that, I've got to get a election update. Tell us what the situation is. And my main question is, can Lapid, who is the leader of the far left-wing element of the body politic of Israel, can he actually put a unity government together? Well, Jimmy, as you pointed out, Mr. Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, had to give up, we call it here in Hebrew, mandate, the right given to him by the president to get the first crack at putting together a coalition that would have either 61 seats and representatives in the 120-member-of-Knesset parliament, 
or would have slightly less, but no one would be able to override him. He say he could get 58, 57, and still the other parties could no, do no more than, say, 55 or so, which would mean that one of the parties, probably an Arab party, would abstain on such no-confident votes so that the government can get together. As I said, he had to yield up that right, that privilege. It has been given now over to a Mr. Lapid, but Mr. Lapid can't get a similar situation unless he goes together with a Naftali Bennett, who heads a party, believe it or not, Jimmy, called To the Right, as I translate from the Hebrew, Yamina, and promised not to join a government headed by Mr. Lapid in the election run-up. And so everybody here is on their, as we call it in Hebrew, on their hind legs, trying to say that Mr. Bennett should not have a government with Mr. Lapid, because he'd be breaking his election promises to the voters, most of whom, of course, came from the right and would not want Mr. Lapid to be prime minister. That being the fact, even if they were able to put and forge together some type of a unity government, how long would it last? Would they be able to stay in charge very long? Well, at the end of last week as we speak, at least one member of the Yamina party announced he would vote against a government headed by Lapid, even if his party was a, a member of it. But for those of our listeners who are not quite into Israeli politics and the intricacies, when coalitions are made, Jimmy, as you know, jobs are divided up, positions, ambassadors, ministers, government officials. This is a whole cutting up of the cake, can I call it? And there are a lot of things to be agreed upon before they move ahead, perhaps even another form of rotation. The one becomes a prime minister for a certain amount of time, and the other then switches. And all these things, as far as I know, have not been settled and agreed upon at all. And the Likud and its supporters and the members of the future coalition that Likud will head are pressing members of Yemina and their supporters uh, to try to break up or, shall I say, uh, withhold from Mr. Bennett the political capital he has to make a coalition government with Mr. Lapid, basically hinting to him that if he does that, his party will be wiped out at the next elections. It looks to me like Prime Minister Netanyahu, though not able to form a coalition government, is in a pretty good position. If the government does form a left-wing unity government, he'll be heading up the opposition, and he can probably take them down pretty quickly, and that could move him right back in to the prime minister's office. So Netanyahu, he's down, but as you said last time, not out yet. Absolutely, Jimmy. Israeli politics have seen many governments break apart on major or even minor issues, and the supposition, and I think that's also the thinking of Mr. Netanyahu, is that if he could withhold the coalition from being raised and they go elections for the fifth time, uh, his belief is this time he will really pull out enough support to override left-wing opposition and cross the hurdle of 61 seats, 
without any problem. Never a dull moment in Israeli politics. Always something to talk about. I told Winky uh, during the break we were going to talk about an update on the elections. He says, well, what's new? (laughs) That's always what we're talking about. But in addition to that, today I want to talk about Jerusalem Day. It's a very special day, especially for the state of Israel. Winky, take a moment and talk to us about what is Jerusalem Day? How did it all come about? Well, Jimmy, the Jewish people have been connected to Jerusalem as a city, then as its capital, uh, where the thrones of David, uh, Solomon, and the rest of the kings all sat for about 3,000 years, more or less, maybe even more. During that time, only 19 years was it ever separated into two entities, and that was between 1948 and 1967, when the illegal Jordanian occupation administration ruled the area as a result of the 1948 War of Independence. And for some reason, the Arabs, their supporters, and ignorant or uneducated people, whether they're in the media or in government or in diplomacy, seek to eternalize an East and a West Jerusalem, which never really existed except, as I said, for those 19 years. And in 1967, when Jerusalem was reunited, the outpouring of passion and prayer and acknowledgement of prophetic fulfillment, that once again the Jewish people rule Jerusalem, and they do it humanely. You have lived in the city. You can, Christians can go to church, Muslims can go to mosques, and Jews go wherever they want to go except the Temple Mount to pray, but the city is open, and not like it was divided by barbed wire for the 19 years. This event, for many Jews, even those who are not that religious, was viewed as, as, as a vision come true, and that's why we celebrate our united, reunited, undivided, eternal capital of Jerusalem. Let me remind our listeners that Second uh, Samuel chapters 5, 6, and 7 talk about the fact Winky was referring to 3,000 years ago, and especially King David. That's when God gave King David in chapter 5 the city of Jerusalem, the political capital. Then David brought the Ark of the Covenant up in chapter 6 to Jerusalem. That made it the spiritual capital. And, of course, chapter 7 of Second Samuel, the Davidic covenant, where the Lord promised King David it would be. The city of Jerusalem would belong to the Jewish people forever. That's a biblical, prophetic basis upon which they celebrate Jerusalem Day. Winky, Jerusalem is not only a very sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people, but politically it's very, very important as well, isn't it? Jimmy, the city of Jerusalem is the capital. It's where our Supreme Court, our Knesset, our government, the main government offices from the prime minister on down are situated. It is a city that has hundreds of songs in Hebrew written about it, thousands of poems, stories, novels. Everybody who comes to Jerusalem knows it's an amazing, enchanting city from alleyways to broad avenues 
to museums, to cultural icon institutions, to parks, to the old city walls. Uh, and we even have, if I can mention it, a psychological problem with some people who come with a Jerusalem syndrome, expecting to be whisked away into a religious fervor that they cannot control. Jerusalem is like no other country on earth. It means much for the Jewish people. But, as you know, we share it with everybody from every religion and nationality who lives in the city. But we are the primary creators and acknowledgers of what the relationship of Jerusalem is to the Jewish people, and through Jerusalem, what the Jewish people's relationship is to God, and our history, and our Bible, and all these things from Psalms to Samuel to, to the book of uh, Genesis, when Abraham is told to go to the land of Moriah. All these things are bound up to a Jewish soul. We do not deny anybody else's relationship to it, but we do insist that once the city was paid for by blood once again in 67, it will be reunited forever. I've got to ask one final question of you, Winky. I know political leaders have tried to suggest there can be peace, or at least coexistence, between the Israelis and the Palestinians, if only Israel would agree to going back to the 67 borders and then a divided Jerusalem. Is that a possibility that the Jewish leadership would ever be willing to divide Jerusalem? Well, not the mainstream Jewish leadership. We always have our extremists on the left who want to share, and they have support in American and European governments. But, Jimmy, the facts on the ground are just like this week, uh, this past Thursday already, we understand that incendiary balloons again are coming across the border from Gaza to return to a situa- situation where the city is divided and to have uncontrolled Arab forces on the hills surrounding Jerusalem on the north, east, and, and south would once again begin a cycle of violence, as it has done a dozen times over the past 100 years, no matter what we've given up and yielded on, or we're willing to do, and I don't think it'll go through once again. Jerusalem, it was shot at in the second Intifada 20 years ago from Gilo and other places, even from Bethlehem. We will not permit that situation to return, and, well, I can only say, Jimmy, as long as a strong Israeli government is in place, that's for sure, and I hope, and I trust also, because I believe in God, that that will be the situation in the future. And that's exactly what God's Word promises as well. I mentioned earlier the Davidic Covenant. Folks, read that passage of Scripture, if you will, Second Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic Covenant. Winky, thank you so much for giving us insight into Jerusalem Day, some background information. A very exciting day, marches, flyovers, and everything else will be happening. So have a happy celebration, my dear friend, for Jerusalem Day. And I want to tell you, we'll have another conversation down the road, I'm sure. God bless, Winky. Jimmy, thank you so much, and goodbye to you and our listeners. 
Well, right now we go to a different region of the world, the European Union. We're talking with John Rood, who is the man who covers that portion of the world for us, a key location because it has great prophetic significance. John living there in Brussels, headquarters for the European Union, for over a 30-year period of time, knows much about that region of the world. And let me talk to you, John, as we begin our conversation the EU is backtracking on a massive trade deal with communist China. What's the reason behind that story? This is something because the EU usually, you know, plays to the economic factors and so forth. But uh, China apparently really overplayed their hand here. And so in principle, a deal called the EU-China Comprehensive Agreement on Investment was signed and that was for 120 billion euros in trade. But in the meantime, China, in retaliation, they sanctioned all of the members of the European Parliament. The European Parliament needs to ratify the deal. So you'd like to say, well, it's all because of the principles and so forth involved. But what really happened is China censored and sanctioned the entire European Parliament, and so they're, they will not... Uh, consider to vote on this uh, while they're the ones that have been uh, directly pointed out. Pretty interesting that China trying to put together deals with uh, everybody in the world, it seems, except the United States, who they are in competition with. Well, Iran is very interestingly trying to get back in the deal with the United States, that a nuclear weapons deal between the United States and other peoples, other nations of the world, for the technology that will help them develop that nuclear weapon of mass destruction. But I understand from a recent report on European intelligence agencies that Iran was seeking that information, the technology, back in 2020. Give us an update. The European Intelligence Agency, it's Netherlands, Sweden, and Germany, all of them have independently come up with multiple attempts for Iran to acquire materials that are used exclusively for nuclear weapons programs. The reports are very strong, and it puts Iran in with other countries that have tried similar things. To me, it's not a surprise that Iran has sought nuclear weapons. I think that's pretty much a given. But this uh, brings the question to me, if the intelligence agencies have mentioned this in particular, how much is there that we don't know? I imagine it would be quite a bit. Possibly that would indeed be the case. John, I want to ask you an opinion question, if you will. Europe seems to be leaderless. And uh, they seem to be all processing little substance. Is that how you would describe Europe today? Oh, absolutely. This is the problem that in a non-democratic formation of the government, uh, there tries to be an appearance of democracy. And uh, having 27 member nations, it's just completely diluted. No one is really quite the head in the sense that we have, you know, a head of state. And so... Henry Kissinger, this is the famous line when he was U.S. Secretary of State, and it will come up again, but he said, who do I call when I want to speak to Europe? The way Europe is set up right now with the EU, there's about 10 presidents 
you could even say 11 presidents of various institutions, and that doesn't even include the heads of state of the 27 member nations. So they have been very innocuous, and attention has been drawn to this conference on the future of Europe. It's a one-year project. This has been done before to try to adopt the European Constitution. They say we're going to have a democratic forum and so forth, and all the people will contribute. But it has no power behind it whatsoever, completely powerless. And so now this, this conference doesn't even really have a point but it's to appear open. So uh, the question still remains who to talk to when you speak to Europe. It's a a setup that doesn't actually have one direct head. And, you know, as we see the EU progress, we see that this is actually used in a reasoning that could show and go lead towards a much, much stronger central government and central leader uh, to stop this, they know this is their weakness. Tell you what, John, since both of us are prophecy teachers and students, we can understand that there is a leader coming called the Antichrist. He will pull the European Union together and bring it about as the revival of the old Roman Empire. That's absolute because it's God's Word. John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us. John, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. My pleasure, Jimmy. Very important update for the European Union. Their political activities really set the stage for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word for the European Union, which I do believe, and John does as well, would be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Well, one of my favorite guests to be able to interview, a broadcast partner par excellence, is Dr. Don DeYoung. He's a scientist and astronomer, written a book on astronomy. I have got a copy of it. It excited me to look up into the heavenlies and see the glory of the Lord. You might want to try to get a copy. Just write us or contact us at Prophecy Today. We have it available. Uh, Don is on the road. He's out in Denver, Colorado. He's speaking to a group that is very interested in creation. What an opportunity for Don to be able to address this group, and we're excited for Don's opportunities as well. Don, you can retire, but that doesn't shut a a preacher down, does it? (laughs) Well, retirement just opens up new frontiers, new opportunities. It certainly does, and I'm really thrilled for you. Don, the last couple of days, in fact, even for over a week, We've been hearing about space junk, especially in light of the Chinese booster rocket. First of all, give me a definition, and our friends listening in, what is the definition of space junk? Jimmy, during the space age, we've inserted a lot of equipment, a lot of material into Earth orbit, and uh, sometimes we use uh, booster rockets to help get uh, satellites up. And then you have leftover parts, uh, the lower parts of rockets or maybe satellites that have uh, no longer uh, use. And so these objects are circling the Earth, but they do catch the top of our atmosphere, which puts a drag on them. And sooner or later, gravity takes over and uh, they head back toward the surface of the Earth. As we focus on this Chinese booster rocket that is up there, Is it of danger to the Earth or any place on the Earth because it may be falling to the Earth within the next couple of days? 
Yes, this uh, Chinese debris is unusual in that it's a, a large um, section of rocket. Uh, it has a weight of about 22 tons. It's about 100 feet long. Uh, now, we've sent some large things up into space as well, but we usually steer what's left over so that it'll land in the water. In this case, uh, it's freely tumbling in space, and just uh, when it will fall and where, uh, no one seems to know. So it's larger than uh, normal. Now, uh, lots of unknowns. Um, this particular uh, chunk of debris could uh, burn up. It could break into pieces, or it could hit the Earth, whether in the water or on the land. A lot of unknowns. Don, how big of a problem is this space junk for us in the future? Well, things are not getting any simpler as we uh, continue uh, uh, with space development. There have been some efforts to somehow uh, vacuum sweep up the debris that's in space, and we've made a little progress there. But also uh, new pieces keep accumulating. Some satellites, for instance, have uh, exploded or disintegrated, and suddenly you have hundreds of shards of material in orbit. Now, there is a lot of room up there, but it, uh, it's getting more and more dense with these pieces, The space station, for instance, they keep track of these fragments and once in a while have to steer out of the way of one of these objects. They're all in orbit around the Earth, some moving very rapidly. So it is a problem as we are, in a way, polluting our near-Earth space environment. Talk to me. You mentioned, I think, the word sweep up. What is that? Is that the way that they could take care of this whole situation and be able to change it before there's some real problems out there? That would be a way to contain some pieces, even maybe to uh, take these um, shards of material and re-steer them so that they would burn up more quickly in the Earth's atmosphere. But uh, again, there are so many pieces and they're still accumulating. It's almost a losing battle. But there are efforts underway to, uh, better late than never, try to contain this debris that we put in space. Speaking of space junk, I don't know that we could actually refer to what's going to happen according to the prophecy in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 13, when the stars will fall out of heaven during the seven-year tribulation period. But do you think that is literal, or is the Lord speaking figuratively or apocalyptically as he relates that particular prophecy? Well, Jimmy, I would take those end-time events as um, certainly literal. And, you know, uh, when you have objects falling from the sky much larger than any of our space debris, whether it's a comet or an asteroid, these are hundreds of times larger than any of our Earth satellites. So uh, when these things fall, um, definitely uh, major changes in the heavens, in the sky, a whole new level of magnitude. As Scripture says, the stars fall, a star being any of these natural objects in the sky, Definitely end-time events of uh, major uh, proportions. I noticed as I was preparing for my conversation with you and looking at prophecy, I also read Revelation 8, verse 10. It talks about a star called Wormwood. It's going to fall out of the heavenlies. It's going to make all the waters bitter, or many of the waters on the earth. Is that a supernatural event or uh, some type of a star? Why is it called Wormwood? What is that all about? Well, we certainly have not identified exactly what 
wormwood is. That name, uh, you know, has some roots with a, a bitter-type plant. But uh, I would expect, uh, since uh, God has named and numbered every star, every object in space, uh, that may be assigned to uh, one of these objects, which definitely will fall. It is interesting that it poisons the water and the streams when it hits the earth. Uh, and likewise, you know, the earth is uh, 70% covered with water, so even this Chinese uh, booster could well hit the water. I guess I would take the uh, current events with our own space objects as object lessons of uh, what is coming on a much larger scale. Wow, that's a great thought, uh, realizing that what's happening in the skies over the earth, maybe in the next couple of days, a precursor to the prophetic truth found in God's Word. But it is amazing. I love what you just said. God has named every star, and that's why looking up into the heavenlies shows us the glory of the Lord, isn't it? It certainly does, Jimmy. It puts us in our place. You know, we've named a few stars, and uh, uh, we all have trouble with names, but uh, God keeps track of everything in uh, the wide open space. And I think you mentioned to me earlier At one time in one of our conversations, 100 billion stars in our galaxy and about that many galaxies as well in the universe out there. The Lord is amazing. He is the creator, and it's exciting to be able to look up and see his glory. Don, thank you for introducing me to that particular activity, but thank you for being available all the time for us here on Prophecy Today to give us great insight into the heavenlies. Have a great sojourn there in Denver. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, one more broadcast partner, David James. He's standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at our temporary studios in Hoopston, Illinois. We'll be at the First Baptist Church. Pastor Adam Talbert is inviting everybody to join us for the four-day prophecy conference, Sunday through Wednesday, on Sunday meetings at 10.30, then 5 o'clock for Q&A, 6 o'clock for my teaching. On Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we'll have Prophecy Q&A. Then at 7, the teaching of the prophetic Word of God. Love to invite you to come and join us, First Baptist Church, Hoopston, Illinois. Now let me give you the poll question. I want to make sure you're going to go to the poll question after the broadcast is over and answer this very important question. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. It's on the left-hand column on the home page. Scroll down, and you'll find the question. Here's the question. On this year's Jerusalem Day, do you believe that God has given Jerusalem to the Jewish people forever? as foretold in the Davidic Covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7. But until that time, the city of Jerusalem will be the center of controversy, as foretold in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. Be sure to answer the poll question at prophecytoday.com. 
We now bring to this microphone David James with our conversation focusing on a concern in the church community about what is happening in our world today. We discuss it from a biblical prophetic perspective, try to give you insight so that your walk with the Lord will be enhanced as we focus on that particular issue from God's precious word. David, uh, I know that you were originally scheduled to be in Uganda this week, uh, but decided not to travel. However, I understand you have recorded your classes and also did a live Q&A with the classes. How did that go? Well, I think the classes went well. You know, I it's a lot harder teaching to a camera than it is in the classroom. I've often said we're not just teaching material, we're teaching people. And so it was uh, unfortunate that I wasn't there, but I did enjoy the live Q&A with the students this morning. You know, I know a couple of others who traveled to Africa, but I also know of the head of a mission agency who's still trying to get to Africa uh, right now to teach at Word of Life in Uganda as well. And he got stopped a couple of days ago because of changing testing requirements between countries, just as I did. I did just schedule three weeks in Hungary for November, where I'll be teaching a course on Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, as well as God's plan through the ages and signs, wonders, and the charismatic movement. And it was these last two courses that I had recorded for Word of Life Uganda. And I had to record the videos at a small studio I've set up here at home because of unstable electricity and Internet at the Uganda property. And, of course, I was wanting to set this up anyway for recording more of my classes to make them available for schools and churches and Bible studies. And so the pandemic had just gave me some incentive to do that sooner rather than later. That's a very interesting thought out of opposition comes opportunity. That's great. Appreciate that report. Before we get to this week's topic, I wanted to have you respond to an interesting question that we received from one of our listeners concerning the Great White Throne Judgment in Revelation chapter 20. Well, Jimmy, our listener wrote this. During the Great White Throne Judgment, will we Christians have the opportunity to say anything to our lost loved ones. Now, most of our listeners are familiar with the Great White Throne Judgment, but some may not be so much. So the final judgment is described in detail only in Revelation chapter 20 concerning a Great White Throne, and it takes place after Jesus' 1,000-year reign here on the earth. So beginning in Revelation 20:11, we read this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And then it says, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, and that's the second death. Now, Jimmy, one misconception is that this final judgment is where one's eternal destiny is determined, but that's not the case. It's a confirmation of one's destiny that's already sealed, either with the Lord forever or separated from Him in punishment forever, based upon whether someone was a believer or not when they died. Now, believers won't be judged at the great white throne judgment, but will we be there? Two things suggest maybe we might be witnesses, but I I don't know for sure. The first thing is that 
The one sitting on the throne is Jesus Christ, and we know we'll be with him forever. And the second thing is that the book of life is mentioned, and our names are there, uh, not because of our works, but because of the work of Christ and our faith and trust in him. And so will we have the opportunity to speak to lost loved ones? I would guess not, uh, but I don't know. The text just doesn't say. I think I would agree with you, David, that we will be with Jesus but not able to speak. We need to be doing that speaking now while we have an opportunity to lead our loved ones to Jesus Christ. Well, this week we're going to be focusing on what I think can legitimately be called a war on Christianity. Now, in some places, that would be a cultural war, but in other places, it is actually a literal war. Talk to us about it. Well, you know, Jimmy, this is a very serious problem in many places around the world where Christians are in real physical danger with some losing their lives, and I want to cover that in the future, maybe before too long. But for today, while believers in the West aren't experiencing that kind of persecution for the most part, I think we are seeing increasing hostility toward Christianity and especially toward theological and social conservatives. And But not everyone is buying that the idea that Christians are under fire, which I think is actually contributing to the problem. A few years ago, the Atlantic newspaper ran an article with this headline, The Evangelical Persecution Complex. And from the opening paragraph, we read this, Persecution has an allure for many evangelicals. In the Bible, Christians are promised by St. Paul that they will suffer for Christ if they love him. And the article went on to say that narratives of political, cultural, and theological oppression are popular in evangelical communities, but these are sometimes fiction or deeply exaggerated nonfiction and only rarely accurate. And then finally, the author wrote this, If evangelicals want to have a persuasive voice in a pluralist society, a voice that can defend Christians from serious persecution, then we must be able to discern accurately when we are truly victims of oppression and when this victimization is only imagined. And so this bothers me, Jimmy, because essentially we're being called whiners who are just crying wolf, and I I don't think that's the case. I agree. I do not believe that's the case as well. These are actual events happening around the world. And in fact, one of the reasons we decided on this topic for this week is a story coming out of Europe about a member of Finland's parliament who has been threatened with persecution and even the possibility of jail time. Well, Jimmy, this story is being reported on multiple media outlets, and I think you and I first saw the story on WND. Uh, I found uh, an article on the Alliance for Defending Freedom website carrying this story under the title, When a Tweet Can Land You in Jail, Criminal Charges Brought Against Finnish MP. Uh, Let me just read part of the lead paragraph of that article because it clearly explains the situation uh, for our listeners. The Finnish prosecutor general has brought three criminal charges against the former Ministry of the Interior, who now faces two years of imprisonment for each alleged crime. And then the article goes on to say, The medical doctor, mother of five and grandmother of six, is accused of having engaged in hate speech, for publicly voicing her opinion on marriage and human sexuality in a 2004 pamphlet for comments made on a 2019 radio show and a tweet directed at her church leadership. So, Jimmy, as it turns out, she quoted Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27 in a tweet criticizing a decision made by the Finnish Lutheran Church 
to take part in an LGBT pride festival for homosexuals. And in response to this controversy, she said this, I am going to use my freedom to believe and to speak accordingly, whatever the outcome of this process may be. And then she also warned with this, many, especially young people, are afraid that if you are labeled as a Bible-believing Christian, it will hinder your career and social acceptance. Very interesting story there, David, and a motivation, of course, for us to discuss this issue. A couple of months ago, we were discussing the Equality Act that actually did pass in the House of Representatives in Washington back in February, which I do believe has a potential to dramatically affect life for believers in this country. What do you think about it? Well, you know, it's interesting, Jimmy, in prepping for our discussion today, I couldn't find hardly any updates concerning the Equality Act. I thought that it was going to go to the Senate very quickly. And as you said, the House passed it back in February, but for now, it seems it's mostly dropped off the radar. I did find one article about a virtual town hall last month when Chuck Schumer said, I'm hopeful that just like in the House, the Equality Act will pass the Senate with bipartisan support. It's great now that we have an ally in the White House with President Biden, who has promised to make the Equality Act a priority. And as a reminder to our listeners, the Federalist ran an article, I believe it was back in February, that said this, the statutory language provides for an extreme remaking of all aspects of society, destroys equality for women, and threatens religious liberty and the privacy rights of all Americans, especially children. And one person described it this way, it's as the most comprehensive assault on Christianity in America ever written into law, a dangerous threat to our nation and the left's woke new heresy code. And Franklin Graham warned that with the Equality Act, schools, churches, and hospitals could be forced to accept the government's beliefs and mandates about sexual orientation and gender identity. And then Graham went on to say the Equality Act will use the force of law across all 50 states to strip Christians and other religious ministries of their right to hire people of shared faith to pursue a shared mission. So, Jimmy, sooner or later, we may have to make some tough decisions about facing even prosecution and possibly jail time ourselves for taking a stand for biblical truth. This is not imaginary. This is a reality. And, David, let me thank you for staying on top of this story for us. Continue to do that, please. We need to alert the listeners to prophecy today. You know, David, I think an advantage that we have in our country that many others in other countries don't have, even in the West, is that believers make up a larger percentage of our population. Therefore, we have a voice and views that are protected by the Constitution, at least for now. Well, that's right, Jimmy, and and people are sounding the alarm about this war on Christianity and and are pushing back. Back in 2016, a lady named Mary Everstadt wrote a book called It's Dangerous to Believe, and in an article for Time Magazine in June of that year, she said, traditional American Christians have long been on the losing end of culture war contests, and she noted that flagship evangelical schools have had their accreditation questioned, and some secularists argue that Christian schools don't deserve accreditation, and activists have targeted even homeschooling for being a Christian thing. Last year, uh, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions publicly responded to attacks by the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which is a national atheist group headed by Ronald Reagan's son, and Sessions said this, 
Christians and people of all faiths uh, are under attack in America. Ron Reagan's atheist group is spending millions of dollars attacking Christians in the name of religious liberty. And then Sessions went on to say, I can promise you that we will not be intimidated by some leftists from Hollywood. My message to people of faith is this. I have your back. I've spent my whole life fighting to make sure that Christians and people of all faiths can boldly live out their faith. That is what religious liberty means. So, Jimmy, we need to stand for the truth for the sake of this and future generations. We need to stay informed and exercise our rights. And most importantly, we need to preach and teach the Word of God with conviction and without apology. And praise the Lord for a brother in Christ like Jeff Sessions. But I also want to praise you, David, for bringing this topic to our attention. And we need to cover it in the future if it starts to rear its ugly head. Thank you, David. Appreciate all the research you do for us, and thank you for joining me for these conversations. We'll do it again next week. It's my pleasure, Jimmy. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break, and when I come back, I'm going to look at Jerusalem, past, present, and prophetic. When we take a look at the book, it's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, all of my broadcast partners came to the broadcast table with their amazing reports. Ken Timmerman looking at geopolitical events with a focus on Iran. This time, David Dolan, his Middle East news update. 
essential for all of us who are students of Bible prophecy. Winky Madad gave us an update on the election situation in Israel, and of course, he gave us the background, the details, focusing on Jerusalem Day. John Rood, who lived in Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years, came to the broadcast table with his European Union update. Dr. Don DeYoung, a scientist and an astronomer, gave us the information that we needed to know about space junk. And then we talked about what will happen in the tribulation period that is not space junk, stars falling out of the heavenlies on to the earth. And finally, David James and I had a conversation focusing on Christianity under attack at war both cultural wars and literal wars across this world. By the way, if you had to miss any of my conversations with my broadcast partners, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN. There you'll be able to find all of these conversations that I had with my broadcast partners. They are archived and they're available for you when you have an opportunity to listen to them. Tell a family member or a friend about these conversations. They need to hear what my broadcast partners had to say as well. But now, if you will, instead of my prophetic prospective on the reports from my broadcast partners, I want to look at the city of Jerusalem, past, present, and prophetic, in light of Jerusalem Day coming up on Monday. As we think about the past, you know creation took place in the city of Jerusalem. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28. We'll see that the Garden of Eden is referred to as the Holy Mountain of God, Daniel talked about that holy mountain of God, chapter 9, verse 16, and verse 20, where he said he was praying for Jerusalem. You've got to understand in Genesis chapter 2, when it describes the Garden of Eden, it had one river, that's the Gihon River, and there's only one river in Jerusalem today, that is the Gihon River, according to 1 Kings chapter 1. It's used four times in that chapter. Ezekiel 5, 5 says that Jerusalem is the center of the earth. He put it in the center, and then he put all the nations around Jerusalem. The 10th chapter of the book of Genesis talks about those nations coming into existence. I would suggest you look at Genesis chapter 10 and verse 19 which is talking about literally the city of Jerusalem, the original site of the Garden of Eden. And, of course, the Lord made a covenant with King David. He made Jerusalem, Second Samuel chapter 5, the political capital for the Jewish people forever. Then in chapter 6, bringing the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, he makes it the spiritual capital. And in chapter 7 of Second Samuel, the Davidic covenant says it is the eternal capital of the Jewish people, a place that God has given to the Jews, and no one will ever drive the Jews out of their city 
of Jerusalem. Well, that's the past presently, and we talk about from the time the temple was destroyed in 70 AD as the present. There's been conflict as it relates to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem itself has been attacked 52 times, besieged some 23 times, and totally destroyed twice. That was under the Babylonian destruction, 586 B.C., Second Chronicles chapter 36. And then the prophecy of Jesus there in the Olivet Discourse in 70 A.D. Jerusalem was destroyed by General Titus and the Roman army. Jerusalem will be a center of controversy, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2, throughout its history and into the last days. And, of course, the campaign of Armageddon does begin at Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2, when all the nations gather at Jerusalem, ultimately for the battle of Armageddon. That's Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Prophetically, there's going to be an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem as well. Now, the earthly Jerusalem in the city that is now Jerusalem, which is eight and a half square miles, it'll be 2,500 square miles as it is reconstructed according to Ezekiel 46, verses 1 to 6. Heavenly The new Jerusalem comes out of heaven made by God, Revelation chapter 21. There's going to be compatibility in the city of Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13 talks about the fact that Jesus will rule and reign from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem forever. However, the Bible does tell us he's in the new Jerusalem as well, and the kings of the earth will bring their people up to the new Jerusalem to visit there in the future. And finally, we have to talk about the city of Jerusalem will be forever a ceaseless city. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 26 to 28, talks about the temple that Jesus builds in Jerusalem will be there on the earth forever. And, of course, Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, says that we will, you and I, as born-again Bible-believing Christians, will rule and reign with Christ forever. Jerusalem is eternal. By the way, will you be in Jerusalem in eternity? Well, you will if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Again, I remind you, Jerusalem is the city that Jesus will return to at his second coming. But remember, seven years before his second coming, the rapture happens. And that rapture can happen at any time, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.